Texas, uh, the Woodlands in Texas, one of the, the big churches, and their praise team was leading us in more wonderful all week. They said, tonight we're going to have a special guest leading us in worship. So that kind of piqued everybody's interest. So we came back, and they, um, they start worship, and Chris Tomlin walks out on stage. And if you don't know the name... That's Chris Tomlin, which you just heard, and, and if you know, if you listen to contemporary Christian music, you know Chris Tomlin. And uh, so he and another guitarist and pianist led us in worship, and uh, it was powerful. A lot of the songs that we sing, that song, I'd never heard that song. Uh, it's been out for about a year, but I just had missed it, and we sang that. And I mean, 2,500 people echoing that, that the kids led us in. Oh, just, ugh. And, um, and so I came back this morning. This is honest truth. I, I knew the kids were singing, but I had no idea what the song selections were. Nothing. And I just was sitting with John and, and Kimla and CT. We gather before worship, and we pray, and we just talk about worship. And I told John that story, and I said, they did this song. I said, it was great. It was just wonderful. It's called, Is He Worthy? And John said, we're doing that this morning. And I said... <laughs> That's just, that's the way God works. I love it. And um, it was just, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful week. I got to tell you another thing that blessed me, though. This is totally, totally switching tracks, though. Um, one of the nights that we're gathering for worship, and um, the speaker gets up to speak, and the mic's giving them feedback, and they're having, now keep in mind, this is a church, 20, this is a huge church, all the best equipment in the world. I mean, I looked at their soundboard, I don't even understand how it worked. Um, they had cameras, I mean, just, the point is, I mean, this was the top of everything, and they couldn't get their sound system to work, and their slides were off, and we were just, oh, it was just a big mess, and I went, thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was uplifting, because I thought, you know what, doesn't matter what size you Technology does this. That happens. We know it happens. And I felt so good watching them have a hard time. And uh, I know that doesn't sound very Christian. It was wonderful. But I thought it was just kind of affirming. You know, okay, they have the same, they, they work on the same stuff we do. Um, so anyway, it was, it was a great week. I, I, I bring blessings from Ryan. I got to spend a couple days with Ryan, those of you that know my son, who is now sporting a full beard. Um, <laughs> I kid you not, full beard. Uh, wait till Christmas when he comes back. Um, what's that? I know, I should have put a picture up. I didn't do that. Um, but uh, sends blessings. I also came back with a cough, so I'm going to do my best not to, uh, not to cough into the mic, and so apologize uh, if I do. But we are going to uh, really kind of tie up this sermon series that we've been in through the month of September this morning. Uh, called Life Together. If you've been with us these previous weeks, you know, we've, we've just talked about some of both the challenges and some of the blessings of what it means to be the body of Christ, a community united in faith that we're called to do this together. We're to walk this journey and to, to be in faith together. And so we talked about the challenges. If you hear the first couple weeks, we talked about conflict and, and the way that we handle conflict and what's that biblical example of, of handling conflict. What does Jesus teach? And we talked about the tongue and the impossibility of taming the tongue, but being intentional about thinking about the words that we speak and how do we speak them and that, that, um, that, that triple filter of is it true, is it good, is it necessary for the things that we speak. And then, and then last week, we started to talk about the impact of the church. And we talked about the scattering of the church. We were in Acts, if you remember. Acts uh, chapter 1, and we tied that to, to verse 8, which is chapter 1, Acts 1.8. It is the capstone verse of the entire 
book of Acts, which is when Jesus tells the disciples and tells those followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you want to sum up the entire book of Acts, that's it. The rest of the story is is the history of how God does this, how the Holy Spirit moves in the church to live into that, to that verse, to live into that call uh, of the church. And so we talked about that as they were gathered together in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit comes, and persecution then comes through the, the martyr of Stephen, and the, the persecution that would follow and how the church begins to then scatter and begins to live into that. How God uses that as a catalyst to get the church outside the walls of Jerusalem and into the world that he's called them to go and to share this story and to share this good news. So the church gathered becomes a church scattered. And this morning now we flip that back. We, we turn that back around and we're going to talk about how the church, what it looked like as the church began to scatter And then the emphasis to not lose the importance of the gathering. So we gather to scatter, and now we scatter to gather. And so to do that, Hebrews is our our foundational scripture this morning, but we're not going to get there for a little bit. We're going to do a little walkthrough Acts. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to actually do a a quick walkthrough, four chapters in the book of Acts. Do not worry. You will not be here all day. But we're going to do that, and, and so it's a little bit different than the, the norm from which I, I preach and the way that kind of the flow of, of, of this time. So um, rather than waiting until we get to that scripture to do the blessing, I want to ask you to join me right now um, in a word of prayer. Lord, we, we pray your anointing on our hearts as we read from your word, as we wrestle with, with what it means to be community to be in life together. Um, Lord, speak to us. Just speak to our hearts and and move us in faith and faithfulness. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, last week, I I left off at Acts chapter 8, and it was was those first few verses that basically just spelled out that in the aftermath of the, the, the killing of Stephen, in the, the aftermath of the, the persecution or in light of the persecution of the church, they began to scatter outside of Jerusalem. And, and the key verse was there, as they scattered, they preached the gospel. And, and that's really what needs to resonate because as we start to move now into the book of Acts, we see what that looks like and how that preaching the gospel begins to model the call the call of Jesus. So Acts 4, that was the end of Acts 4. They're starting to scatter. And we pick up there in, in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, you can kind of just follow along in a couple places. But if not, you can just kind of do your best to track with me as we talk about this. The next thing that we read is Philip. It says, Philip went to Samaria to preach the gospel. Philip goes to Samaria. Now, Samaria is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, for us, 30 miles doesn't sound like a big deal. But at that day, 30 miles is either a one- or a two-day journey, depending on whether you're on an animal or you are the animal that is transporting you. So it's a one- or a two-day journey. And, and Philip goes there, and, and he begins to preach the gospel, and people start to believe, and this word starts to get back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is still where the, the church is headquartered. It's still um, kind of you know, ground zero, if you will, of, of this movement. <laughs> and so they get back to so the, the believers there in Jerusalem, hear this, and they go, well, we need to go check this out. 
We need to send somebody to go and make sure that what's being preached up there is consistent with what we're preaching down here. This is the same gospel. And now you would think being a Philip was one of the 12, that wouldn't be a problem, but they want to check it out anyway. So they send Peter and John. And Peter and John go, and they check it out. And there's some story, and there's some specific encounters that happen in this. But they see that this gospel is the same gospel. And people are being baptized, and the Holy Spirit is coming, and the work of God is beginning to move. And so they see this. And here's the interesting thing. It says that after witnessing this, basically verse um, uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 25, tells us that they start to go back. They decide to go back to Jerusalem. But I want you to hear what it says they did as they went. It says in verse 25, it says, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. But they didn't just go a direct route. It says, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, I want you to see what's happening. So now, it's not about getting from point A to point B. It's about getting from point A to point B with a lot of stops along the way. And every stop was purposeful. So rather than just getting back, they stop in the villages of Samaria to tell the story of Jesus. They recognize that now they're outside Jerusalem. They might as well do some evangelism. And evangelism is telling Jesus, just telling the story while they're out. And what we're starting to see, and what's important to see, and these are verses that I'm going to highlight that are peppered throughout Acts, is you begin to see the expansion of the church. In between the stories that we're going to read about Simon the Tanner here and, and, and Tabitha and, and others that are kind of in these chapters, what we're seeing is this, this proclamation that is beginning to spread, that the gospel in the church is beginning to spread and beginning to grow outside of Jerusalem, which is exactly what Jesus told them they had to do. And so Peter and John start telling the story, and they go back to Jerusalem. And then we turn to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, a character is reintroduced to us. A central figure gets reintroduced. We've, we've met him at the end of cha- Acts chapter 7. We met him at the very, or, or he, he's mentioned at the very beginning of Acts chapter 8. And he is the least likely candidate to become a catalyst in the movement of Jesus. If we didn't know the story and we were picking out characters and say, which one's least likely to have any positive impact on the gospel of Jesus? It's the person that comes back as a central figure in Acts chapter 9, and his name is Saul. Remember when we last see Saul, Saul's persecuting the Christians. Saul's dragging them into the streets to publicly shame them. He's doing everything he can to stamp out the movement. He does not want this proclamation of this Jesus getting spread. And so it says that Saul gets permission from the authorities to go to Damascus to find the believers there. They're not called Christians yet. That won't come for a few chapters yet. But to find the believers and to bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, you've really got to, got to kind of sense the significance of that, ver- that word because it doesn't seem as powerful as it is. He's sent to Damascus Damascus is 160 miles north of Jerusalem. Eight or nine days journey, no matter how you travel it. Now, do you see what's happening? All of a sudden, the gospel's getting further out. 160 miles. He wants to drag them back. Why does he want to drag them back to Jerusalem? We've got to shut them up. 
we got to stamp them out. we got to get them back. They need to be held accountable. But we want to contain it. Understand, we want to contain it. We want to isolate this gospel. Well, it's, that cat's out of the bag. And so Saul goes to persecute. And it says that as he gets close to Damascus, many of you know this story, he is blinded by the light. He's knocked to the ground. He hears the voice of Jesus. And in a moment, in a moment, Saul the persecutor of the gospel becomes Saul the proclaimer. He has a remarkable um, conversion. But it says that when he gets up, he's blinded. He cannot see. So those who are with him lead him into Damascus. And while he's there, the voice of God speaks to another believer by the name of Ananias. And this is what God says to Ananias. Ananias, there's a man named Saul. And he is on Straight Street, which I think is a remarkable name for the street. I say it's because Paul's now going straight. Saul is going straight. That's not what it means, but that's how I read into it. That's my interpretation, and that's not good biblical exegesis. That's just me spinning it a little bit. But Paul's on straight tree. He says, want, or Saul, excuse me, I want you to go to Saul and I want you to heal him. He's blind. I want you to heal him. And this is what Ananias does. He res- hears the voice of God and he looks toward the heavens and he says, wait, what? Who? Saul? And he has a little conversation with God. And the conversation roughly goes like this. I'm God. Are you sure? I don't know if you've heard about Saul, but in case you've forgotten, let me remind you, this is the guy trying to stamp us out. In fact, God, maybe him being blind is better. He can't find us that way. And he's basically saying, God, is this really what you want? It's an honest prayer. Now, he's not saying to God anything God doesn't know. God doesn't hear that and go, oh my gosh, Ananias, ah, Thank me for you that you brought this to my attention. Or else we might have had a disaster on our hands. Appreciate that. No, he he knows. But but also know this. If you go back and read, he doesn't rebuke Ananias. He's not critical of Ananias. He understands Ananias' anxiety and the honest prayer. He just says, basically, trust me. This is what I want. Because Saul is going to proclaim to the Gentiles, and he must learn how much he will suffer for my name. Ooh, how's that for a call? How'd you like to hear, God, I'm calling you to suffer for me. The one who wanted others to suffer will know that suffering. And so Ananias goes, and he heals Saul. And in verse 20 of Acts chapter 9, Paul, Saul, sorry, he's not Paul yet. He'll become Paul a little bit later. But Saul goes to the synagogue, the place that he was going to go to round up the Christians. And what does he do? He begins to proclaim Jesus, and he totally flips them out. And he begins to spread the gospel. He begins to share the good news. And we turn to this verse then in 31 of chapter 9. And this is what it says in verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Of course they enjoyed a time of peace. The guy who was persecuting is now part of the team. Enjoyed a time of peace and were strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Oh, more growth. 
more scattering, more believers coming to faith. And so that's where we leave Saul for a little while. Then the, the narrative of Acts chapter 9 and then into Acts chapter 10 turns back to Peter. Peter comes back into the central um, stage, if you will. And we read the story of Peter's healing of Tabitha or Dorcas. We've talked about Tabitha before. And that gets Peter to Joppa. That's, that's where the next significant event happens. Because while he's in Joppa, he goes up to the roof to pray. And some of you remember that in this time, Peter has a vision. And this vision is all these foods being lowered down on a cloth. And they're all the things that the Jews don't eat, that the Jewish law forbids. And the voice of God appears to Peter and says, Peter... Kill and eat. Kill and eat. This vision comes three times. Three is really important when we read about Peter. Remember three times he denied Jesus. Remember three times Jesus asks him post-resurrection, Peter, do you love me? So now three times the vision comes. And Peter responds, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. And the voice of God says, don't you call unclean what I call clean. Now, you got to know, this isn't just about food. This is about the gospel. Because at the same time, God's putting a, a, a call on the heart of a, a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is not Jewish. He's Italian. He's part of the, the enemy, if you will. But he's got a good heart. And he's, he's professed a faith in the one God. He doesn't understand who that God is, but he's rejected the, the pantheism of, of the day, and he believes in this monotheistic God, and he's doing good things. And God appears to him and says, summons Peter. Go get Peter. And so while Peter's having this vision about what's clean and unclean, an unclean man outside the Jewish faith, the Gentile, sends servants to come and summons him. And Peter's smart enough to know, hey, these things are connected. Maybe I should go. And so he does. And he proclaims to the house of Cornelius the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we read in verse 44 and 45 of chapter 10. It says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came to all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Understand something new is happening now. Before, the Jews were coming to faith in Jesus. Now, the outsiders are coming to faith in Jesus. They're getting this gift of the Holy Spirit. So he ordered, that being Peter, that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. Okay, so now it's getting even wider. And now it's crossing ethnic lines. That's what you need to understand. Because previously, as we were talking about Jerusalem and Samaria and these other places around Jerusalem, we're talking about zip codes. We're crossing zip codes. We're going into new counties. Now all of a sudden we're crossing ethnic barriers. Gentiles are coming to Jesus. This gospel isn't just for the Jewish people. And the, now, you'd think if they paid attention to Jesus at all, they'd have figured this out already. But this is just starting to break through. And so, Peter goes back to the church in Jerusalem, and the church does one of the dumb things that the church has done historically over and over. The church gets together and decides whether or not it's okay for God to do what God's already doing. That, that's what they do. They have, is it okay for God to pour out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles? We're not sure. Even though God's already doing it, we've got to make a decision whether God's in line with, with what we believe God should be doing. And so they have their meeting, and they realize, no, this is exactly what God 
has called us to do. This is exactly the truth of the gospel. When we come to this last verse I want to highlight in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, after they decide it's okay for God to do what God was already doing, says this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what we have in Acts 8, 9, 10, 11 is we're now seeing further fulfillment of Acts 1, 8. My witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now we're getting to the ends of the earth. The gospel is scattering. The gospel is scattering. If you've ever watched those those movies um, that, that deal with some sort of apocalyptic event, some sort of virus that threatens the entire world or some zombie outbreak, I don't know, whatever it is, you know that there's always ground zero, right? There's like, this is where the outbreak starts, and in a week it's going to be here, and in two weeks it's going to be here, and by a month or a year it's going to be here, and everyone's going to be dead. And so they, they, it's the doomsday experience. Well, this, this isn't a doomsday scenario. This is a blessing scenario. And what we see, though, is that same spreading. Jerusalem's ground zero. And boom, and boom, and boom, every day. And, and it starts, I mean, you just trace it. It starts when Jesus ascends. There's 120 believers, roughly 120 believers. On the day of Pentecost, 120 becomes 3,120. And then in the next step, it becomes 8,120. And now it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands are hearing the gospel. And the movement is utter chaos. You can't contain this. You can't plan for this. You can't strategize this. There's no church growth manual that says this is how you do this. This is the Holy Spirit breaking out. And the church is growing. And the church is impacting the world. And it's wonderfully messy. Wonderfully chaotic. Because God speaks and works in the chaos. And that sets the stage for the Hebrews text. See, what we need to understand is the letters that we read in the New Testament, the letters of Paul and the other church leaders, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Hebrews, Timothy, James, these are not written devoid of context. These are the letters that are being written to these, these gatherings of people these Christian communities that are starting to form that help them understand what it means to be a Christian community. They don't have a role model for this. There's no parents or grandparents to look at and go, oh, well, that's how they did it. What can we learn from them? They are the first generation. So they're trying to understand how this works and what does this mean. And so you have to understand what's going on to understand the significance of these letters that are being written back to these churches and these gatherings of people to, to help them shape their life together because it's breaking out faster they can keep up with. And the gospel is growing faster than they can wrap their heads around and they're still trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so into this, Hebrews is written, as are all the other letters. And this is what Hebrews says. This is what the writer, this, the church leader often attributed to Paul, but, but we know that one of the early church leaders wrote this to the Christian community in, in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. This is our scripture today. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have <coughs> excuse me, confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. (coughs) And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience of having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And I pray God bless this reading of his word. And and I pray God bless our understanding of, of, of what's happening here. The key verse there is do not give up the habit of meeting together. As the church scatters, do not give up the necessity of coming back together as some are doing. Because in the gathering, God's working. In the gathering, God's doing something that empowers you to be the church when you're not together. God calls us to, to a, a twofold relationship, and that certainly, first and foremost, is with Him. You know, hold fast. That's what, what, what the writer says. Hold fast to your faith, that confidence you have in the faithfulness of God, because life is hard, and this is crazy, and the church will be persecuted, and you need to be strongly connected to God, to your Heavenly Father, to, to have that hope and that strength that only comes through the Holy Spirit. So there is that vertical nature of faith. But what also wants to be stressed is the horizontal connection we have with others. Don't fall into the trap, he says, of believing it's just about you and God. It is, first, that relationship with God. But secondly, it's about you and the others who have been called. You need to come together. That's why Paul uses imagery repeatedly of the body, the body that needs each other because we we complement each other. Want to hear a bad joke, really bad joke? I'm just going to warn you. I'm just telling you up front. Guy goes into a bar, sits down, orders a drink. Nobody's in the bar. He's sitting there. All of a sudden, he hears a voice. The voice says, you really look good today. And he looks around. He doesn't know where the voice came from. And again, he hears, no, no, you, you really, you, you look good today. Like, what the heck is that? And then the third time, the voice says, no, that, that shirt and those pants, they match so well. And he looks, and he tells the voice is coming out of the bowl of nuts. And he looks to the bartender and says, what is that? And the bartender goes, oh, it's the nuts. They're complimentary. I told you it was bad. But not without a point. We're complimentary to each other. But see, here's the thing. You know what compliment means? You know, see, we think of a compliment, right? We think about a nice thing said, like the really bad joke that you'll remember. Nothing else about the sermon you'll remember but that joke. But to compliment, to compliment something means to bring to fullness or to make perfect. To bring to fullness or to make perfect. Paul says we complement each other. 
We're the pieces of the puzzle. And you're the final piece in somebody else's puzzle. I'm the final piece. We're, we complement. We bring our gifts and our talents and our uniqueness and our diversity together. And we meet together. And we find strength in our relationship with God, but power in our relationship with each other. That's why we've talked about it's important how we deal with conflict. It's important the words that we say, because as we scatter to spread the gospel, as we scatter to live Jesus, and when I say spread the gospel, I mean you're on a corner preaching. It means you're living Jesus. We need to come back together because we need each other. Because this is where two things happen. One, it says that we spur each other to good works. Some of the scriptures say stir each other, and some say provoke. I love the provoke language. I love the provoke language. Because when we think of provoke, we often think of that in a negative context. When I used to beat up my brothers when we were growing up, and I would get in trouble. And I'd say, it's not my fault. They provoked me. It's their fault. They provoked me. That's what we think. Someone's provoked. But see, provoking isn't just a negative action. It can be positive. We provoke each other for good works. We come together and we learn and we spur and stir and move in ways that that we live out. Because the, the gospel of Jesus, because remember James says, if your faith is all in your head, it's no good. It's dead. Faith that affects the heart becomes lived out. And that's what the church needs as they're beginning to scatter. They need to come together to connect with each other for the good works, to move to faithfulness. There was a commercial just a few years ago. You may remember it was actually just an insurance commercial. But, but in it, it starts with, with uh, a street scene. And this woman's pushing uh, um, a stroller. And a toy falls out of the stroller. And a man runs up and he picks up the toy and he gives it back to the child. And somebody else notices. And the woman who notices later is in a a coffee bar. And she's ordering a cup of coffee. And as she's leaving, she says, a guy sitting there in his coffee cups, dangerously on the edge. And she just stops. And she moves the cup to the middle. And somebody notices. And the next person that notices is on an elevator. And the doors are closing. And the woman's running. And he sees her. And the door's closing. And the next thing, the doors open back up because he hit the open thing. Crowded elevator. So she could get on. And somebody else notices And the next thing, the person who notices sees a man fall on the streets, pouring down rain, and he helps him up. And somebody else notices, and you know where this is going. And there's a series of commercials that go on and on about the impact that a good deed has on those around us. Well, that's true for us in the body of Christ. We notice. We're not all called to do the same things, but we notice. We spur each other to good deeds, to living out the gospel. And we encourage one another. That's the second part. We encourage one another to hold fast when life is hard, as it will be. Paul knows the early church, life is hard. Paul himself knows how hard it is to follow Jesus in a world that wants to stamp it out. And if you think the world is any less hostile to the gospel now than it was 2,000 years ago, you're sadly mistaken. And with day and day, it gets more hostile. We need to encourage one another to hold fast to our faith. These, this is what allows us then to live the gospel. We come together in these places of worship. We come together in opportunities of small groups where you can share life together. That's why, um, and I'll give Dawn the credit, she chose that name for a lot of our small groups, life groups, because it's not just about study, that's a component, but it's about conversation. It's about life together. 
It's about encouraging one another. Because here's the thing. We come into these moments to be filled. And we come to be filled to such a point that we can overflow. So then we walk out, we get everybody else wet. But you can't pour out of an empty vessel. When we're depleted and we all have those moments, we've got nothing to offer. Because we're empty and we're dry. This is a place to come and be filled, to be in connection with others. The church scatters throughout the world. But the church leaders and God says, don't forget to get back together. Don't forget to come back together. Life together that is, that is governed by how we treat each other, how we work to love each other. And then we are called to gather to scatter to tell the good news, and then scatter to gather, to come back together, to be filled, so we can continue to do it. That's what the story of Acts is. That's exactly what we see God play out in the history of the church, and it didn't stop 2,000 years ago. It continues today. Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but spur each other to good works. That's what it means to gather. Amen? Amen. Friends, let's pray. Lord, that we would be filled by your spirit in a powerful way. Filled in a way that we encourage and love each other, but then we go out of this place and we just, we just spill the love of Jesus on everyone we meet. And then we come back together and we get ready to do it again. This is our prayer. Fill us with a faithfulness and obedience and a passion for you. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. I want you to think about this. One of the last things that we do in worship is communion. This service every week. One of the last things we do is communion. So you will come to the table. You will experience Jesus. And you take him with you. Take him with you. And share that good news. And so we remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. As you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. And he said, this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Friends, let us pray. <coughs> Lord, we ask a blessing on bread and juice that for us it would be the body and blood of Christ. That as we receive it, we would be blessed by the presence of Christ that empowers us to live to be the body. And Lord, we would, would pray for faithfulness, that each day we'd grow more like Jesus and that we'd grow deeper in our connection with each other so that we can be faithful, stay connected to you every day of our life until one day our relationship comes to perfection as we enter your kingdom. But until that day, unite us together, empower us by your Holy Spirit and use us to your service and your glory and to live in your love to everybody that we meet. This is our prayer. We pray it in the one who gives us strength and power, and that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. I invite now our servers to come to our communion stations. As the praise band is, is ready to lead us, and as we continue to worship uh, in these moments, you're all invited as you desire to come and receive communion. Receive by intinction. The bread is given to you. You dip it in the juice and thereby receive the body and blood of Christ. The altar is open for prayer. 
on the tables, our baskets. Those are for your prayer cards. Those are for your offerings. We receive and then we offer back to God our gifts. And then also on those tables are gluten-free elements. If you need bread and juice that are gluten-free, they are available for you. And then the last word of instruction, friends, is if you are unable to come forward, if you'll let an usher know, we will bring communion to you so that all who desire may receive. But we all are invited to receive so that we can be filled to pour out. Brothers and sisters, the table is ready. As you are ready, come and receive. give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, it's your our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you holy you give life you are love bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you lord it's your breath in our lungs so we Your breath in our love. 
走。